I wanted to share with you this uh, birthday card that some good friends of mine uh, got for me. That's probably one of my favorites I've ever received. Uh, on the front, some of you would recognize this spaceship if you saw it up close. It's called uh, the Millennium Falcon. And it says, a long, long time ago. Hear that? You were born. <clears throat> Everybody know what that is, right? John Williams, wonderful composer. Star Wars, right? Uh, we all know that movie. Uh, Star Wars is uh, full of memorable scenes, but there are a couple in particular I want to mention. Uh, one is the one that everybody knows, one of the most famous lines from the movie, uh, when Darth Vader, wearing his mask, says through his little voice modulator, Luke, I am your father. And then there's another scene with Darth Vader and Luke, and it is when Darth Vader is about to die. And Luke is kneeling on the ground beside him. And it's a very tender moment. And he says to Luke, take off my mask, son. I want to see you with my own eyes. It's this very precious and tender moment. Because even though he is a monstrous villain, he is still Luke's father. See, it's only human to desire a relationship with our fathers, to feel their love and their approval. And some of us have horrible relationships with our fathers. And some of us have okay relationships with our fathers. And some of us have or had pretty good relationships with our fathers. And some just okay. In this room today, I'm sure that there have been experiences of dad is abusive. Dad is alcoholic. Dad is workaholic. Dad is emotionally distant. Dad is demanding. Dad is uninterested or unimpressed. But no one has a perfect relationship with their father because all earthly fathers are flawed. We earthly fathers, even at our best, only dimly reflect the goodness of the heavenly father. But the Bible, you see, reveals a good and loving father who is always faithful. A heavenly father who delights in children who call him Abba. Father, as we prepare in a few moments to witness the sacrament of baptism, we're invited today to think about, as we look at this gospel passage from Luke, what it means to be a child of this Father in heaven. So context of what was happening when what, what we heard from Luke's gospel just a moment ago, uh, John the Baptist, he's kind of the precursor to Jesus, and he's out and he's baptizing people for repentance and the forgiveness of sins. So he's calling God's people, Israel, to turn back to him from their sin and their idolatry and their waywardness. And so people who are wanting to realign their lives back to God and to his purposes are coming out to be baptized. They're coming out to show their repentance, their change of heart. But then Jesus comes to him too. Have you ever scratched your head over this one? Why is it that the sinless and pure son of God comes to be baptized himself? See, Jesus comes not needing repentance, not needing to amend his way, but desiring to identify with his people who are turning their hearts back to God. It's an act of profound identification with humanity. We read this. We heard this. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, 
The heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Think about this. At this point in his life, has Jesus yet accomplished his mission? This is Luke chapter 3. It's kind of the beginning of the story. Has he accomplished his mission of carrying out the heavenly father's will that he would die for the sins of the world? No. This is, this is the front end of his public ministry. And yet, the father already calls him the beloved and says he's pleased with him. Friends, that's a picture of God's grace toward us in our baptism. When we place our faith in Jesus. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about uh, tantrums. I have a three-year-old, and some of you can relate to this. I, actually, anybody who's ever had kids, I don't think there's a kid that doesn't have tantrums. And um, it's so easy in tantrums to try to overpower your kid and scream at them and tell them to shut up. <laughs> and tell them you're going to lock them in their room or something. What's more difficult is to stay with them through the tantrum and to be a present A non-anxious presence, calm, patient, cool, loving, affirming your love for them. And on those rare occasions when I'm actually able to do that, in those moments I know I am learning something about my Heavenly Father. Because if He withheld His grace from me every time I messed up, or He abandoned me in my sinful tantrums, I'd be hopeless. And so would you. Now, how does Jesus respond to this proclamation that has been made over him? You are my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. How does he respond to this? Well, I'm God's beloved. Now I can eat, drink, and be merry, work on accumulating some wealth, invest in stock, travel the world. What the heck? I'll even go to church once in a while. You know, this is what happens when people see baptism merely as a family tradition or some kind of ritual that magically secures a place for you in heaven, and then you can go, kind of go back to life as usual. What a tragedy. What a tragedy to miss out on the life that baptism actually incorporates us into. See, Jesus responds to his baptism with his whole life, with his whole life, with every part of him. He shows us what happens when someone knows they are the beloved child of God. See, when Jesus gets baptized, it's like the dynamite wick getting lit, getting lit. Because his, his ministry is about to explode. He's about to go out into the, by the power of the Holy Spirit and heal people. The blind and the lame, to bless the poor, to resist temptation, to forgive his enemies. And his ultimate act of spirit-filled obedience is when he allows his own hands and his own feet to be pierced by the nails that hold him to the cross where he dies and gives himself as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. See, friends, Jesus is our model for living as the beloved of God. Because through faith, through trusting in him, and through baptism, God becomes our father and says over us what he said over Jesus. This is my son. This is my daughter. 
the beloved, with you I am well pleased. Before we can do anything to achieve his approval. And the rest of our life is not about what we can achieve, but about living out who we are in God's eyes because of what Jesus did for us, imparted his own perfection and righteousness to us. He credited it to our account. And most of us, most of us are still living out the Christian life as if there's something we need to achieve to be acceptable before God. See, if you have a deep sense, if you have a deep sense of what it costs Jesus to pay for your sins, to reconcile you to your heavenly Father, you will want to give your life back to him. So many people get this backwards. So many people get this backwards. Um, here's, a, here's a scenario. Imagine uh, two young ladies in their first year of college. The first one says this, I have to keep up my grades. I have to keep up my grades and become a doctor because it's the family tradition. And my dad, he paid for my tuition and he expects me to have a good GPA and to become a doctor. See, she has to achieve. She has to earn her father's approval. She's fearful of being disowned. For her, studying and homework and keeping her grade uh, point average is, it's drudgery. It's just difficult drudgery. And then there's this, and then there's this other student and she says, I'm working hard because I'm so grateful that my dad, out of his love for me, paid for my tuition so I can pursue the degree that I always wanted to pursue. She does what she does. She works hard out of gratitude for her father's love. You see the difference? You see the difference in how we approach God and respond to his grace? Now, if you try to live your life pleasing God out of fear of abandonment or out of your own ability to keep God happy, you will never have a real relationship with him. Because it doesn't work like that. But if you live your life in response to the fact that God declares you his beloved because of what Jesus has done for you and his spirit comes to indwell you, it will be a life of joyful obedience and relationship. Your life will be one of intimacy with your heavenly father. Prayer will be something that appeals to you because you know your heavenly father is there waiting for you with his arms open. So, Here's one big way that you know that this has become a a reality for you. You stop needing the approval of other people. Maybe even of your own father. You no longer have to mention the good that you do to your family and your friends. We all get stuck in this, don't we? This is me for you, okay? I'm just impersonating myself. Well, emptied out the dishwasher and uh, filled it back up. Just thought you should know, honey. We do this kind of stuff all the time, right? We've got to let other people know the good work that we just did because we're trying to justify ourselves in their eyes. You see? But if this reality of being God's beloved has become real to you, you don't lose sleep over that. You don't lose sleep uh, over accidentally disappointing someone. You don't obsess over your public image, over being noticed because your sense of identity is in God's approval, 
is in God's approval and being the heavenly father's beloved. How different, friends, would some of our lives be if we started believing this? How different would we live?